name is Sophia. My name is Steve. My name is Lauren. Jade. Greg. Ben. Lindsay. Ian. I'm a student. I am an advocate for mental health. I'm a dad. I am a videographer. I am a giant nerd. I am an engineer. I'm a senior in high school. I'm a barista. I'm a volleyball player. I'm a husband and father of four. I am a designer. I am a foster dad. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Well, again, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful you guys are here. My hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Um, man, I, I want to just take a moment as a church and address kind of what's going on in the world right now. Um, uh, if you're anything like me, your heart has been broken. Um, you've probably been pretty angry at times over the last few days and watching what's happening. Um, and I just think as a church, we need to figure out how to respond. Um, so what I'm asking you to do, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm asking you to do two things. One, I'm asking you to pray for the people of Ukraine. Um, I'm also praying for the, for the Russian soldiers that, uh, that know Christ, uh, that they would make a decision that would honor him. Uh, I'm praying that God would humble those who need to be humbled. I'm praying that God would move in ways that maybe we haven't seen in our world in a while, uh, but that God would show up. Uh, but that God would also protect those, uh, those people over there. So one, I'm asking you to pray. Two, I'm asking you to give. Uh, we've already given to organizations on the ground and people on the ground. If you want to be a part of giving, it's super simple. Okay, you text whatever number, whatever amount you want to give, $5, $50, $500, $5,000, whatever it is, you text that, that number and the word hope to the number on the screen. Uh, you can do that, and it's super easy, super simple. Let me tell you two quick stories. One, there's a, a family that they're baker, uh, bakers on the west side of the country, um, and they're believers, and they just believe that God has told them to stay and to keep making bread so that, so that people have food, something I don't have to worry about today, something I don't have to deal with. And they're staying. They could easily run, but they're staying so they can try to bring a little bit of bread and represent the bread of life, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and then I heard about a story of this pastor who um, he's asked his congregation to stay behind. And he's given them training, first aid training, tourniquet training, stuff like that, to be able to help those who are injured. And one individual in his church said, this is why God has told me to stay. I wanted to leave, I wanted to flee, but I felt like the Lord told me to stay and I didn't know why. But once he heard the pastor saying what he said and then teaching a class on first aid, said, this is why I'm staying to be able to help my fellow humans. And so church, we don't have to worry about. My kids are asking me what's going on. I'm trying to figure out, man, how do I tell them what's happening and, and, and all the, the unique things that are going on and the potential and all of that. And, and all I know is that right now my kids don't have to deal with some of the things that these kids are dealing with, these moms are dealing with, these dads are dealing with. And so as a church, let's respond. Let's respond in a big way. Pray with me, and then if you can, even if it's $5, give something, and let's be a part of that. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you, and God, I, I thank you for our situation. God, it's so easy to take for granted, God, what we have. So thank you, Father, for the country we live in. Thank you for the brave men and women who fight for our country, for the freedoms that we have. And Father, I pray for Ukraine right now, God. I pray, Father, that you would protect those people in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, you would put an end to this war in Jesus' name. I pray that you would humble those who need to be humbled, Father. That, God, you would bring them to their knees, Father, so they would stop the aggression. 
So Father, that they would choose to somehow follow you, that you would put people in their lives that know you, that God would help them come to know you, Lord Jesus. God, be with those moms and those kids that are, are sheltered underground somewhere right now, Father. Be with the, the couple that's, that, that are bakers, God, trying to just provide a little bit of food for their, their uh, fellow community, Father. I pray, Father, for the churches that are standing guard, God, hearing so many stories about followers of you, Father, who are standing in the middle of the street, God, just praying. God, in a time where people would say, that's crazy, that's ridiculous, find shelter, and they're saying, no, we're going to stand our ground in prayer. God, I pray that, Father, we would learn something from them as well, but as a church that we would respond. That, Father, not only would we pray, but we would give. And that, Father, you would use that generosity, God, to help those who have already been displaced. Father, for those to find food that they need and shelter and all of that, God. And we just pray, Father, you would show up somehow in some way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, hey, what, uh, we're going we're gonna to start a new series today. <clears throat> I want to start off by asking the question, what comes to mind? When you hear this question, who are you? Like if I were to ask you that, if we were just having a, a normal conversation, I would say, who are you? What would be your response? Or maybe a better way to, to do that is maybe fill in this blank. I am what? What would, you, what would you fill that blank in? I am, would you say I'm rich or I'm poor, I'm young, I'm old, I'm single, I'm married, I'm married, I'm divorced. I'm desirable, I'm undesirable, I'm successful, I'm a failure, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeless, I'm a dog lover, I'm a cat lover. And if you are like Pastor Johnny, then you're wrong. Like how would you fill in that statement? I am what? You see, pop, uh, modern pop psychology uh, talks a lot about self-worth and self-esteem and uh, identity and stuff like that. And the Bible talks a lot about it as well. And the Bible's phrase for it is identity. What is your identity? Do you know who you are? You see, in this series, what we're doing is we're taking this big idea that if you know who you are, then you know what to do. But if you don't know who you are, then you don't know what to do. You're just kind of wandering. You're aimlessly living life right now. But if you know who you are, you know what to do. For example, if you, if you believe that, if you would say, I am a mom, and you say, that's who I am, I'm a mom, then you do everything you can to be the best mom that you can be. You read all the books, you go to all the classes, you, you do whatever you can to, to figure out how to be the best mom. If you're a business person, if you're a business owner, then you're gonna do everything you can to be the best business owner. Read the books, go to the conferences, whatever you need to do to be the best business owner. The other day I was sitting in a restaurant and, uh, and I was watching uh, a TV that had a professional cornhole game going on, which I had no clue that cornhole had professionals uh, doing, throwing bing bags. If you don't know what cornhole is, it's the old school bing bag toss uh, when, for me growing up. And so this, this professional cornholer, which I'm pretty sure is not the term, but I'm using it anyways, he... Uh, they interviewed him and they said, hey, so what do you do to like get ready for these? And he says, I practice four to five hours a day, four to five days a week. If you believe that you're a professional cornholer, then be a good cornholer. Again, that's terrible. I probably shouldn't use that word next service, but I love it. Uh, so what is your identity? If you don't know who you are, then you don't know what to do. Sometimes your identity is forced on you. Right, like how many of you are the oldest child in your family? Oldest, okay, there's a certain expectation with that. How many of you are like me? You're the baby of the family. Yeah, so there's a certain expectation of that, right? Oh, my bad. How many of you are the forgotten middle child? 
See what I, yeah, you're like, I feel the pain. I know. Yes. Sometimes it's forced on you, right? Or were you the chubby kid, the funny kid, the nerdy kid, the athletic kid? Like it's forced on you at times. Other times we choose our identity. Like you go into middle school and high school and certain things become more important. Your clothes become more important. The way you look, muscles, clearly I didn't care about that. You know, certain things that you look at this, this group and you ask, how, can I be a part of that group? Am I already a part of that group? Am I just looking on to that group? Then you go to college and you get to decide, man, what are you going to do now? You get to kind of have a fresh start. There's new decisions. And, and what are you going to do? What friends are you going to make? Are you going to go to church, not go to go to church? Are you going to sleep around, not sleep around? What, what courses are you going to take? What life course do you want to set yourself on? Who am I? And then you graduate and you have kind of identity crisis. What am I going to do? Am I going to get a job? Am I going to like my job? Am I going to make enough money to be able to afford a house? What am I going to do? Am I going to always be single the rest of my life? Then you get married. And you think your partner is there to help you become the best version of you. And they also think they're there to become, that, that you're there to help them become the best version of themselves. And the problem is you have two sinful people, selfish people, colliding into one, creating misery called marriage. It's not that bad if you're not married. No, it's actually not that bad. But... You get the idea, at times it can be. Uh, or then you have kids, and you're no longer you. Like, you're no longer, I'm no longer Ernest. I'm no longer Sarah's husband. I am now Wyatt and Waverly's dad. That is what I'm known as. And what my kids do reflects onto me. How crazy is that? Like, whatever they do becomes like my identity somehow. And so you have this identity crisis that all of us wrestle with. And for some of us, we choose the identity we have. For others of us, we feel like we've just kind of slid into it. Like, we feel like we're at a place where maybe we're, we're kind of lost. We're wandering. We're not really sure that we chose where we currently are in our life or whatever you would fill in that blank and I am, whatever that blank was. You're like, man, I didn't even choose that. This just is kind of who I am. What is your identity? Do you know who you are? I would say that most of the world does not know who they are. I would say the majority of the world, hence probably a lot of us, don't know who we are. And when you don't know who you are, I think two things happen. Number one, I think it breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God, right? Like if you're a parent, think about this. I mean, I want my kids to know who they are. Like every day when we go to school, we say, you're a smith. And Smiths love God and show others the love of God. And we talk about what that means and what that looks like. I want them to understand who they are. When they don't, when they do things that are in direct opposition to who they are, it breaks my heart. And I believe that when you and I don't know who we are, who we're created to be, it breaks the heart of God. So one, if we don't know our identity, then I think it breaks the heart of God. Number two, there's no way you can be used in the world around you to make a difference. If you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. You're just aimlessly wandering. So if you don't know who you are, you don't know how God has wired you and created you and made you for such a time as this to make a difference in the world. Like you could have been created at any other time in any other place, but you are here now. For what reason? I don't know. If you don't know, it breaks God's heart, and it's hard to really make a lasting impact. It's hard to do anything of significance. That's why I'm excited for this series. What we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to look at this, this topic of identity and finding out who we are. Who are you and what has God called you to do with your life? What has God called you to do in the world around you and the relationships that you have and all of that? Who are you? 
We're going to look at this topic, and we're going to do it through studying the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, no worries. It's going to be on the screen. You can also download the Bible app. Uh, so it's a great app, uh, some great resources there. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have them. Just go to our, our Connect team out in the, uh, uh, whatever, the courtyard area, and, um, and we'll get you a Bible if you need one of those. And we're going to study Ephesians. And in Ephesians, it addresses every major topic, every major topic. Like how many of you, if you're parents, how many of you want to be a better mom or a better dad? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're either not a parent or you're really tired. Uh, how many of you would like to be a better spouse? A better son or daughter? How about a better community member? A better follower of Jesus? Better leader? And now we're, just, now we're just doing this. We're just getting our exercise in. Right? And Ephesians addresses every one of these topics. It talks about every single one of these and how we can be better, how we can follow God in these areas and become better at all of these areas. Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up by giving you an overview of Ephesians. Because here's what I believe. I believe there's so many times we miss out on scripture. We miss out on the depth of what God is trying to say to us because we don't understand or we miss certain key aspects of the scripture. So I'm going to just kind of help you understand how I study scripture, and maybe it'll help you as you dive in as well. For me, whenever I study scripture, I I ask four questions. I want to know four things. Number one, who's the author? Who's the audience? What's the historical context? And then what are the major themes? So who wrote it? Who wrote this, this letter, Ephesians? Who is the audience? What is the historical context? Like what's the background of it? And then what are the major themes that that are pulled out from that particular letter or that particular book in the Bible? Uh, To to kind of uh, research those things, there's a lot of resources. There's so many resources. Uh, For me, I use a ton. We actually have those on a website. I'll tell you about that here in a second. But one of those resources is called the Bible Project. If you do not have the Bible Project app on your phone, take a moment now. Please do me a favor, download the Bible Project app right now or at some point today. It is one of the best resources out there. I had a buddy of mine come to me uh, about a year ago and he said, hey, Ernest, uh, I feel like you do a really good job of like setting up the scripture and helping us understand the background and all that. Why don't you do a video that teaches us uh, about the, the background of each book of the Bible and stuff like that. I'm like, man, that's a, I'm super humbled that you would even say that. The Bible Project does all that in a much more creative way. In fact, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you a quick uh, a, a clip from the Bible Project and how it sets up different books of the Bible. This one clearly is on Ephesians. Take a look at this. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel, how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story, personally, in our neighborhoods and communities and in our families. So let's dive in and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter one opens with a beautiful Jewish style poem where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, 
The Father has purpose to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says, that grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose became clear, Paul says, when we were first made into that family. And here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham. But then Paul talks about how you, and here he means non-Jews, you all heard about Jesus and the salvation through him. And you were also brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of Acts about how God's Spirit brought together Jew and non-Jew into one family in Jesus. It's just like God promised to Abraham long ago. All right, so this video goes on for another six minutes. They, they have this for every book in the Bible. Okay, super easy. Like it actually addresses all four of those things I was talking about, the history, uh, the, uh, the audience, the author, um, and the major themes. They have videos like this on all of them. If you want uh, that resource or any other resource that we have, text the word resources uh, to the number on the screen. If you text that, we'll send you a link uh, and that will give you pretty much all the resources that I use in my study. Uh, and that Pastor Johnny uses from our Bibles, our commentaries, to websites, to everything that we kind of use to get a gauge on, okay, what are we studying? Uh, and let's go a little bit deeper with it so we can understand some of the things that we're about to read. So text resources to that number on the screen uh, and you'll get uh, a link with all the information right there. Uh, I would encourage you, man, the Bible Project app is really good for kids, for your family, uh, to be able to just gain a little bit more knowledge. Even last week, we were talking about the Bible and, and is it trustworthy and all of that. And they've got a whole uh, video like that on, is the Bible trustworthy? Is it reliable? And stuff like that. And it gives, goes in some deep history and whatnot. So I encourage you to get those resources. Uh, so imagine, imagine you, you're walking down the street and you find this letter, right? And this letter, you pick it up. You want to know who wrote this letter? Because the letter means nothing to me unless I know who wrote it. So who wrote the book of Ephesians? Well, in uh, Ephesians chapter one, verse one, it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So very clearly he says, Paul, this is me. Then in chapter three, verse one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. So very clearly, it is Paul writing this. We've talked about Paul before. We talked about him a few weeks ago, how he was um, a persecutor of Christians, and then he met Jesus, had this radical transformation, and then he wrote a large portion of the New Testament, planted a ton of churches, and all of that. Uh, so you can go do more research on Paul. You can listen to our message from three weeks ago, and it's got that information on there uh, as well. So Paul clearly is the one who writes it. There's a lot of other things I can walk through this letter and show you how how Paul wrote it, uh, why, why we believe that Paul clearly wrote this letter. But who's the audience? And so if you read this letter and you're like, oh, okay, Paul wrote it. Now who did he write it to? Look again, verse one of chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to who? God's holy people. 
in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus consisted of, of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, meaning people that converted from Judaism to Christianity and those who uh, maybe were of no faith or of different faiths that converted over to Christianity. So it was just like mixture of people. You and I would be considered Gentiles. For most of us, there's some of us in here that come from a, a Jewish background, but for most of us, we come from a Gentile background. So it consisted of Jewish and Gentile Christians. He wrote it to them. He also wrote it to us. God in his great sovereignty and his great wisdom, his great power, God knew that we would be reading this today. So he didn't just write it to the church in Ephesus. He wrote it to you and I, the church today. Now, why did Paul write this letter? Did he know these people? Paul knew these people really well. In fact, Paul started this church on his third missionary journey just a few years before the writing of this letter. So he knew these people. He spent two to three years in Ephesus teaching these people, uh, building up leadership, preaching, leading a lot of them to Christ. So he knows a lot of them really well. Of course, there's a lot more people that have come into the, the fold by that point uh, that he doesn't know, but by far the majority of them he knows. He not only knows them well, he knows the city well. He lived in Ephesus for, Ephesus for a while. So he knows the, the importance of this city. He knows the history, the culture, all of that stuff. He knows that, that Ephesus is a port city on the west coast of Asia. So it's, uh, you kind of see a map of where it is or where it would be considered today. It had the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. This huge temple. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It had that there. They were also very, very wealthy individuals. In fact, they were so wealthy when the temple of Artemis burned down, they rebuilt it with their own money, refusing the help of Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great's like, hey, I'll actually help. I'll fund some of this. And they go, no, no, we don't need it. They're kind of prideful. They got enough money. They're like, we're good. We're going to do this. We don't want any, any political power here at all. We want to do all of this ourselves. Strabo, who's a first century geographer and historian, he called it the greatest emporium in, uh, in Asia Minor. The greatest emporium. This city was so important, and the history of it was so important. And it's important for us to understand Ephesus so we understand what Paul is saying. For instance, uh, the, the Ephesians, they, uh, the, the, the city of Ephesus loved the supernatural. Like they were, they were attracted to anything that was supernatural. And so it kind of makes sense that Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 would talk about our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual darkness. And how God is above every dark thing out there. God is above every power, every principality. God is above all of that. And Jesus has conquered it all. Now it makes more sense. You read that and you're like, that seems kind of out of place. But now we understand that if Ephesians, it, it, the, these people love the supernatural, so they would have a bent toward the supernatural. Okay, now it makes a little bit more sense that Paul would direct that to them and not some other church. So he knows the city of Ephesus is important. He also knows this church is really important. He knows this church is crucial, that these believers are crucial. This is a crucial time for Christianity. It's kind of a small sect at this point. It's, it's not this major religion or anything like that. Like they're being persecuted. People are questioning them. They're, they're like, man, I, I don't know if I, I believe this or I trust this or, or whatever. A lot of them are poor. And so I don't know if I want to be a part of the poor people. Like, I don't want to be a part of the poor class. And so there's all these, like, issues that are against him. Not only that, but Nero, at this point of the writing of this letter, Nero is emperor. If you remember your history at all, Nero was a terrible emperor. Like, terrible. In fact, he burned down half of Rome to build himself a bigger temple. 
himself a bigger temple. Not to do like something great for the people, but all for himself. And then he had to blame it on someone, so he blamed it on Christians. There's just a small group of people who are already like attacking them or whatever, so let's just do that. And then he began the persecution of Christians like they had never seen and like few had seen since then. In fact, what he would start doing once he would capture Christians, he would, he would um, actually sew animal hides into their skin and then he would attack wild dogs on them. He would sick wild dogs on them so that they would be eaten by wild dogs. Not only that, he would take other Christians and he would douse them in tar. He would put them up on a pole and he would light them on fire so that he had light for his garden. This is a sick individual, a sick individual. The church was under heavy persecution. Not only that, there were false beliefs trying to penetrate the church. This is a young church, so these false beliefs were easy to receive and to accept. And so you have all these things coming against this church, and Paul understands, man, this is a timely moment. They're at a crossroads because they could fall back, and they could be like, man, I don't want to profess Christ anymore. I don't want to be doused in tar. I don't want to be eaten by dogs and other I mean, he, he killed them in so many ways. I don't want to, I don't want to go through that. I, 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 I'll renounce my faith. I'll just kind of walk away. Or maybe I'll do my faith privately. I'll just have my own, me and just me and Jesus time every day. And I won't go to church and, and I won't, you know, really care about living this out publicly or anything like that. They were at a crossroads. Paul knew how important it was for them to know who they were. Because if they didn't know who they are, they, did, they wouldn't know what to do. If they didn't know who they are in Christ, there's no way they can know what God had created them and called them to do. In fact, that phrase, in Christ, is used over 30 times in the book of Ephesians. In some way, it's used over 30 times. And it's Paul saying, hey, let me tell you who you are in Christ, who you are in the one who made you and the one who bought you, the one who redeemed you. Let me tell you who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. I look at what's going on in Ukraine, and I look at, there's so many images and videos of followers of Jesus that are rising up and doing some incredible things and loving their neighbor well, serving the people well, praying that God would show up in a powerful way. When they could be fleeing, they could be retreating. Told you the story of the pastor, told you the story of the, the bakers. There's so many like that. Why are those people staying? Why are they putting their life at risk? Because they know who they are. And I think you look at our day. I think if Paul were writing a letter, he would see that we're very similar to the Ephesians. We live in a place called Denver, and I know most of us don't associate with Denver unless it's for the Broncos if they're doing good or the Nuggets or something like that. We live in a nice little bubble, and every once in a while we go into Denver, but we're still Denver Metro. Denver has millions of people. It's considered the Wall Street of the West. There's a lot of money here. In Douglas County alone, there's a lot of money. We're the second or third, depending on the stat that you use, the second or third wealthiest county in America, the richest country in the world. So we're pretty wealthy, pretty well-educated. I would say we're also very spiritual. I got a lot of friends that are not followers of Christ, but they would say, man, I'm spiritual. I believe in a higher power. I believe in, uh, you call it a God, you call it Jesus, Ernest. I, I, I call it something else. We're a pretty spiritual place. So this letter, I think is really important for us. And I think we're at a crossroads. I think we're at a crossroads. Because I think the world is tired. I just believe people are tired. And they're longing for and looking for hope. 
Where are they going to find it? In our politics? You're not finding hope there. In money? We live in the second or third wealthiest county, meaning that most of us have all that we need. My kids, my daughter asked me, yeah, asked us yesterday. She said, hey, mom, dad, are we rich? And like the easy answer is no, we're not rich. Do you know what your dad does? Like, do you know what your mom does? No, we're not rich. But then we say, yeah, no, we're, we're really rich. Compared to the rest of the world, we're in the top 3%. And because we live in Douglas County, we're in the top 1% of the top 3%. We're at a crossroads. Where do we find hope? Is it in relationships? There's a lot of broken relationships right now. There's a lot of brokenness in our community, in our world. And people are longing for hope. And as a church, we have the opportunity to present the only hope that's out there. The only hope that is foundational. We have that opportunity. Now we can get sucked into the fights and the war of words and we get sucked into politics and we get sucked into all of that stuff. That does nobody any good. Nobody. Because I know very devout Democrats that love Jesus. I know very devout Republicans that love, sorry, I'm just gonna start preaching here. Uh, none of this is in my notes and my staff is probably getting a little anxious, but I, I know people on both sides and I know people on both sides that are not followers of Jesus, that are very far from Christ. And you can get sucked into that and you'll stay there and offer no one hope. You can get sucked into your money and possessions and things and offer no one else hope. We are at a crossroads, guys. And the only way we know what to do is if we know who we are. It's the only way. Because if you don't know who you are, you're just gonna wander. You're just gonna do what the rest of the world tells you to do. You're just gonna participate like the rest of the world participates. And it's not working. It's not working. And the world is tired, and they're hurting, and they're broken. And they need the church to rise up. They need followers of Jesus to say, even if you sow animal skins on me, even if you douse me in tar, even if I have to give away my money, even if I have to give up all the political rants, even if I will do it. Because the world needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus, not all the other stuff. They have everything else, and it's so broken. It's so broken. We're at a crossroads. We have the opportunity of a lifetime to make a difference and to transform lives and communities. That's why I love, man. There's a lot of my buddies that are quitting the church right now. There's a lot of, uh, of churches that feel like, man, they're being shamed and hit on and, and people leaving the church and all of that. And I, I, man, I, I don't doubt a lot of bad stuff's happening, but I just believe that the church is the hope of the world. The church has the greatest opportunity right now to present the gospel. But the only way you and I do that is if we know who we are. So you don't get sucked into everything else. And when you fill in that blank, I am, first and foremost, yes, I am a, a father to my kids and I'm a husband to my wife and I'm a leader at this church. All, all those things are true. Yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That is first and foremost. And because I know who I am, I know what is mine to do.
We're gonna look through that over the next six weeks and discover this identity of knowing who you are in Christ. My prayer is that you'll follow along with us. In fact, one easy way to do that is we have a reading plan. If you wanna be a part of the reading plan, Pastor Johnny set it up for us. We can all kind of join together. If you have version, if you have the Bible app on your phone, then uh, you can just text, what do we have? Text reading plan or text plan or something? Text, yeah, plan, there we go. To that number right there. There's a lot of texting going on today. Text plan to that number. And we'll send you the link and you can join with us. And we'll have conversations, it starts tomorrow. So we'll be having conversations. It's kind of like some of y'all did that with the fasting that we were doing, but this one is just for this series. Will you join us? Will you put in the work to discover who you are so that you know what God has called you to do? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you. God, I thank you for this church. I'm so grateful, God, to be a part of this church. And God, in a larger view, to be a part of your church. And what you're doing in the world around us, God, and I'm inspired by these Ukrainians that, Father, are standing up for the gospel, who are praying for one another, serving one another. God, I'm challenged in my own faith by watching them. God, it's very clear that so many of them know who they are in you. And so they know what to do. So, Father, over the next six weeks, I pray that we would discover who we are in you. That each one of us, God, that we would know who we are in Christ, that we would know that we're victorious, that we would know that we're chosen, that we would know that we're holy, that God, every part that you call us to, that you created us for, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's who we are. This whole conversation about being in Christ starts with us first giving our life over to you. And God, every single week we have people who come into these, these doors and who are watching online that if we're being real honest, we'd say, man, I, I, I don't have this relationship with God. Ernest, I, I feel very far from him right now. And maybe you've never given your life over to Jesus or maybe you have, but it's been quite a while and you've been doing things on your own way and it's just not working. And maybe you're the one that feels tired, hopeless. If that's you, today isn't it? perfect day to come home. What does that mean? It means believing that Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. But I'm thankful because he was fully man and fully God, he was able to rise from the dead, show his power over death and over sin. Coming into a relationship with him doesn't mean that I have all my, my questions answered. It doesn't mean that I, I still don't wrestle with doubts. It means I just choose to follow a God who loves me, follow a God who died for me, and I give my life back to him. So if that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, man, Ernest, I came into this place and yeah, I'm feeling weary, I'm feeling lost, I'm feeling broken. Man, I need Jesus. You want to commit your life or recommit your life to Christ right now, just with every head bowed and eyes closed, just raise your hand. I wonder who I'm praying for. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Father. If you're watching online, you can simply text the word follow to the number on the screen. And God, I thank you that you know every person in this room and every person watching at home by name. You know their story. You know their journey. God, you love them. And so, God, as we may feel like we're in a period of wandering, we may feel like we're at a spot where we don't know who we are, 
God, I'm choosing to believe today that you chose us. You chose us for such a time as this, God. And so we come to you. We confess our sins to you. We thank you that you are gracious and loving and just. You forgive us of our sins. God, I pray that you would tell us what our next steps are. And that, God, over the next few weeks, we would dive into this topic. We would utilize some of those resources and the reading plans and other things, God, knowing that this is so important. It impacts my parenting and my marriage and my friendships. It impacts my schooling. It impacts my work. It impacts my community. Every aspect of my life, understanding who you made me to be and who I am in you, Lord Jesus, impacts everything. So God, may I put the work in the next six weeks. And may you show yourself faithful, powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen.